Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. scenes with Brian and I am Brian and I am joined today by legendary Denver Bronco Reggie Rivers. Hey Reggie how are you doing? Good Brian how are you doing? I appreciate the legendary adjective that's nice. <laughs> well you, you know you you, uh, you really helped spread your name when you were a uh, commentator or interviewer uh, while you were a Denver Bronco so you got to be known by a lot more people and of course you've carried that on but uh Richie, sure. what, you know I you, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourselves because I've got listeners in different continents and some people may not know what that big orange d on your chest is <laughs> well sure I am um... I grew up down in Texas, but I uh, came here to Denver in 1991 to play for the Denver Broncos. I was a journalism major at Texas State before that. And so when I got here, I immediately started working in the media with the Rocky Mountain News and then 850 KOA Radio. When I retired from football, went straight into a media career doing talk radio and then a television for 20 years. And I've been a corporate motivational speaker and author, and now I run a business, a a virtual um, uh, uh, called gala team and we do fundraising for big charity galas um, and now we've started doing virtual charity galas and so that's what I occupy my time with these days wow that's very cool that's very cool and uh, I, I don't remember why you left football Well, Brian, there's a little thing that happens that the team cuts you and they say, we no longer need your services. Thank you for being here. And, uh, you know, it's it's tough. It's, a, it's very competitive. You've got to, every year you have to compete to make the team again. And, and every year there's young talent that comes out and um, they're fearless and aggressive. And so I played for six years. And then my seventh year, I just got beaten out by a couple of younger, more talented guys. You know, the the Broncos have been amazing at developing running backs. And yeah, every year there's a fresh crop of excellently talented players. So yeah, they uh, they they have a habit of fighting the best. And they, at one time, I don't know if you're still in, in business with Terrell Davis, but do you still work with Terrell? Yeah, we do. We do um, some keynote presentations together, and we've been doing that for about the past five years. Okay, okay, that's 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 wonderful. And you recently wrote an op-ed piece. I think it was in the Denver Post, right? And it was it it helped to explain how how it feels to be Reggie Rivers, I guess. Sure. And, you know, and it was the point of it was kind of explaining what systemic racism is. And I think it's hard for people to understand systemic racism. It seems so big when we see a, a specific incident, we tend to really blame it all on that incident. We say, what did that black person do that got him 
killed by the police? Or what did those police officers do wrong to break the law and kill that police, that black man? And so we kind of reduce it down to that incident. But it's really not about that incident. It's not about what that particular black man did or what that particular police officer did. It really is about the systemic racism that exists in our society that causes these people to happen. The analogies that I use in my article was that we're two different breeds of dog, and it, and so those two breeds of dog determine the way that we walk through the world and the way that people treat us. I am a Rottweiler. When I walk around, people are afraid of me. I can see their fear. I can see the way people, if they're going to approach me on the sidewalk, they make a decision about whether they feel like I'm safe to pass or they move over to the other side. When a police officer pulls me over. I'm acutely aware of how afraid of me he is as he comes to my window. And that fear is deadly to me. He is, his fear of me is most likely to be the reason that I get killed during that traffic stop. And I try to explain this to my white friends, but they don't really understand it because they're not Rottweilers. My white friends are Labrador Retrievers. They're universally loved. They're universally accepted. They can go anywhere. They can go into any store. They can walk into any park. They can go into anyone's home. The, you know, the, the way that we view Labrador Retrievers is that they are um, harmless. There's no, there's no harm that's going to come from them. And so their life is very different from mine. It, and they think that, well, if Reggie, if the reason that people are nice to me is because I'm friendly and I wag my tail. If you're just friendly and you wag your tail, they'll be nice to you too. Well, the reality is, is that no, it, it's too late. By the time I can, I can be friendly and I can wag my tail, but they never forget that I'm a Rottweiler. They never forget that they're afraid that I might bite them or do harm to them. And that fear is part of what it what it is being a black man growing up in um, America and living in America. And just a, another quick um, example, my son who is now 17 years old, 17 or he'll be 17 next month. He's six feet tall, he weighs 200 pounds. When he was in elementary school, he and I would walk to school every day. And we live in a predominantly white area. So if people were coming on the on the sidewalk, the other direction, they would almost invariably invariably be white. And so it would be normal for us to stay two abreast until we get to like 10 feet from the other people. And then we both kind of squeeze over and we pass each other. But I taught him from first grade to say, you know what, when you see them coming, move over early. We would be, we'd move over. They're still half a block away from us, but we're moving over and getting single file. And as I would explain to him is, I'm big and they don't know me and they're afraid of me. And so from a distance, they're trying to figure out, is it safe to pass him? By getting single file, we are signaling to them that, hey, we're safe, we're polite, we're gonna, you're, there's no danger in coming past us. And as you get bigger, Malik, people are gonna become afraid of you. And I didn't explain it to him then that it's because you're black. I just explained because I'm big, he can understand that. But that's the reality that in the, the stories that we teach our kids, you know, we talk about stranger danger, but if you're an African-American dad talking to your African-American son, when you talk about stranger danger, your son is the stranger in that story. And you have to start teaching him that they are afraid of you. And so you have to do things to de-escalate their fear because otherwise you can be harmed by their fear. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. And, you know, it, uh... Yeah, as, as a white person, like you say, it's very difficult for me to put myself in your shoes. Sure. Yeah. So, and I, oh, and I was just going to say that what I appreciate is happening right now is that 
It is difficult for white people to put themselves in the shoes of black people, but everyone is trying. And I, I appreciate it. I was talking to my wife and I said, I just feel like we have entered a period of our history as a nation. It feels so different than everything before now. I have kind of resigned myself to the reality that my white friends are never going to understand the racism that we face because they don't experience it. It's not because they're, they're, uh, they're ignorant or that they, they just don't want to know. It's just so far out, it's so far removed from their own experience that it's hard to imagine that the things that we're saying are happening. And, and for us, it feels like, yeah, we're, we're often, we have these one-on-one -on -one interactions with police officers when there's no supervisor there, when there's no lawyer present, there's no constitutional law professor there. It's just that police officer and you on the side of the road. And there's a power dynamic there that he's not just there to enforce the laws that have been passed by Congress or the state legislature or the city. He's also there to impose the law that you must respect him. And you're, the, the quickest way to get a beating or to get shot by a police officer is to not show sufficient respect to him as an individual. And, and that's what black people experience a lot, that this officer shows up at your window and you feel that you have to humiliate yourself in front of him to earn his, his leniency so that he doesn't do something harmful to you. And that's, that's been the black experience for hundreds of years. And right now it feels like our society is finally accepting that hey, maybe this is a real thing that they've been talking about. Yeah, I think you're right. And there was a lot of other shocking events before um, Minnesota, but it feels like the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I'm not a fan of the, the looting and stuff that's going on. I'm, I'm very much a fan of the peaceful protest. I'm very grateful that the number of white people who are out marching and protesting, the number of my friends who have reached out to me and expressed their concern, it just really feels like um, we're at a turn turning point where there could be some real change. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe that that's right. I don't know that we can eradicate racism, but maybe some of the systemic racism can be reversed. No, that's, uh, thanks for the insight on that and the article, and I'll put a link to the article in what I, what I refer to as the show notes uh, for this podcast episode. Is there anything else, Reggie, that you want to share with us? Yeah, I, I just think that, um, you know, we, it's hard to, it's hard to root out systemic racism unless you change systems. And you know, kind of, kind of the conversation that we're hearing now about defunding the police, it sounds ridiculous. And of course, we don't want to defund the police and we don't want to live without police departments. But, you know, it, it really does feel like as black people, we've been sitting in a left turn lane where the light is broken and it never, it never turns. It never gives you a, a green arrow to go. We just sit there and we wait and we wait. Well, then you're forced to make an illegal U-turn or squeeze back over into the other lane or make the turn illegally through a gap in traffic. And, 
And when this, when the city sees this happening, they don't come and fix the traffic light. What they say is, man, there's a lot of people breaking crimes in that intersection. Let's send more police officers there. And so now these cops are pulling us over and you say, we're trying to tell the story of, well, can't you see that the light is broken? I mean, um, I was, I was, I waited three cycles and it skipped us three times. And then I made an illegal U-turn. Well, then the cop gives you a ticket. You go to court to fight it. The judge enforces the ticket. And it just seems like nobody understands what it is we're going through. And they send more and more police officers all the time. And so eventually those police officers kill somebody and they say, oh my gosh, what has happened? And, and we say, well, maybe somebody should just fix the light rather than sending more police officers. And I think that defund the, the police movement is about that, about restructuring and saying, is it an armed officer that is required to solve all of these problems in society? Or are we creating the problem by getting more and more militant, more and more militarized in our police force and getting more and more officers patrolling these particular areas where these problems are happening, as opposed to investing the money in simply fixing the problem that is causing people to break the law. Yeah, you, you know what, that's that's uh, perfectly right. And it was only just this morning that I found out that the defund the police movement isn't the, the same as abolish the police. Right. Yeah. The, 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 I think they have a really good message to get out. They just have, they, they chose a, a, a shocking slogan, I guess. It's not, it's right. not easy to, yeah. to, to listen to an argument when it starts out that way, but it really is a good argument. Well, Reggie, I, I, uh, don't want to... I, I think they're... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go. You go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I think that defund the police is an extreme position, but maybe that extreme position has to be there to allow negotiation to a reasonable point to happen. Hmm. Yeah, an opening bid, right. No, I, I think they do have a really good message that not everything is sure. police matter. I was listening to... Uh, MSNBC this morning and they said you know if if you have somebody that's suicidal do you want to send a social worker or a policeman and and that's kind of what the defund the police movement is about is not not everything is a policeman um, phone call or appearance right right yeah hey Reggie I really appreciate your time today and the insights that you've shared with us um, some very sobering things to consider for sure. And I hope that people listen to this podcast really carefully and take to heart your conversation. And I, I think you've got a really good message that you're sending out very uh, informative and very moving as well. Well, thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you spreading the word and doing what you can to help make things better. Yeah, you know, if each of us just does a little bit, we can we can really change change the the way we do things in the future. Absolutely, I totally agree. Thank you, Brian. Hey, thank you. Yeah, appreciate it, and hope you have a, a great rest of your day and great rest of your week. And thanks for all the good work you're doing out there too.
Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rocking. Thank you.